Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we conclude our series, The Best is Ahead. So turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 51, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Faithful to the End. I love the phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. That's to say, remaining faithful for a lifetime. It is possible to be faithful for a season, or it's possible to remain faithful in fits and starts, sometimes on, sometimes off. Many people can do this in their own strength without relying on the power of the Lord. But faithful to Christ for the course of a lifetime can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean to denigrate those who come to Christ later in life and then, with the few remaining years they have left, give themselves totally to the Lord. I mean, I have a very fond memory of a very elderly woman who at that time was in her late 80s. Her health had greatly deteriorated. She had just come to Christ. She was confined to a wheelchair. I did baptism by immersion, but she was unable to be immersed because of her physical condition. And so she asked for a special dispensation. Could you baptize me by pouring? But she said, please don't let me go into eternity as an unbaptized woman. And I mentioned this not to start a firestorm about the mode of baptism. I mean, please don't write me letters. I only mention this so that I don't give the impression that when I speak about faithfulness for a lifetime, I'm in any way denigrating the glory of those who came to Christ in their later years, or for that matter, those who come to Christ on their deathbeds. The Bible speaks about the thief on the cross. I mean, to the skeptic, his conversion looks oh so convenient. But to the person who understands the kindness of God, his conversion reminds us of the nature of grace. Again, I'm thankful for late-stage conversions. But it is a more remarkable statement to say that there are those who came to Christ in their childhood or in their youth and who were gripped by grace and who continued passionate faithfulness to Christ all the way until their death. I don't mean to insinuate they didn't sin. They did. Furthermore, among them, there were times when their love for Christ cooled somewhat, but in mercy, the Holy Spirit continued to renew them so that the long-term observation of their lives is that they were faithful unto death. They persevered. They demonstrated by their lives that to live is to live for Christ and to die as gain. And as we stand at the threshold of a new year, I've been wanting to return to the theme that I love, the second coming of our Lord. We have for this week been studying the 24th chapter of Matthew. It's often called the Olivet Discourse. And I won't review what Jesus taught his disciples here, but I do want us to know that when we go to the end of chapter 24, we see how Jesus concludes his teaching. Indeed, from Jesus' conclusion about this teaching regarding his second coming, we learn something about application. And here's what I'm getting at. The more we concentrate on the second coming of Jesus, that is, if we do it correctly, well, it will teach us not to set dates or to come up with fanciful theories about how close we now are to the return of our Lord, but rather it will teach us to be faithful, faithful for a lifetime. So let's read how Jesus concludes Matthew 24. So let's start by concentrating on verses 42 to 44. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
And you're going to notice there is a parable here. It's to highlight the idea of watchfulness. Now, in this short series, we, we're not going to have time to study Matthew 25, and it really should be a part of the overall teaching of Matthew 24. But, but if we did have time, we would notice that Jesus concludes his teaching about his soon return by giving a series of five parables. This is the first one. It's the parable of the master of a large estate who must secure the estate from thieves. Well, the next parable, the one we're going to also consider today, is the parable of the servant who's charged with keeping his master's estate. And the third to the fifth parables are found in chapter 25. And just for interest's sake, we should take note that the third parable is the parable of the ten virgins who go out to meet the bridegroom. The fourth is the parable of the talents, that is, the master is going on a journey and he assigns each of his servants with a different part of his master's estate. And then lastly, and while you might take issue with whether or not it's a parable, but I say that it's the parable of the shepherd, who as a part of his work is to separate out the sheep from the goats. And each of these final parables are about faithfulness, faithfulness that carries on even when it's tempting to give up on faithfulness. Remember, Jesus has already taught that during the time between his first and second coming, that many would fall away. And then he added the words, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so now that he's completed the the bulk of his theological teaching about what to expect, between his ascension and the end of the age, he returns to this theme. Only the one who endures to the end will be saved. But how are we to endure given that we don't know how long it will be until Jesus returns. What if his second coming is still thousands of years away? Indeed, from the perspective of the disciples, the ones who originally heard this teaching, that was exactly true. At the very least, his second coming was still 2,000 years away. And you have to think that they couldn't have even imagined such a thing. And yet that's exactly what they were facing, even though they didn't know it. Generation after generation would need to carry on in the faith faithfulness would not just be required for a few years, but for many generations. Yeah, the task of world evangelization would need to be the focus of the church, but so also would need to be the the passing on of the faith to the children and the grandchildren. For if we take new territory and then lose the territory we've already gained, we're not getting anywhere. And so in the light of the faithfulness that is required, Jesus tells a series of parables, and as I've said, we will consider only two of them today. And the one we've already read is a parable that's meant to teach us that regardless of how long or how short is the coming of our Lord, we should train ourselves always to live in the light of expectancy, living in expectancy for a lifetime. And so let's consider the parable. If the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have been ready for him. But of course, the master doesn't know. And so what's the parable trying to teach us? Well, two things, I think. First of all, look again at the first part of verse 42. Therefore, stay awake. Now, we need to ask what I think is the obvious question here. The thief is coming, but we don't know when. So how long do we need to stay awake? And is it really possible to stay awake that long? As we've seen, it has now been generations. And most important of all, What, in fact, was Jesus meaning by stay awake? Did he mean that we should at all times be acting as if he was coming back today and then repeating that exercise tomorrow? I mean, is it really possible to sustain that kind of an intensity? See, I think that staying awake refers to at least two things. The first is that we must be about the master's business until he comes. 
since Jesus has already told us back in verse 14 that this gospel must first be preached to all nations or all ethnic groups and then the end will come. It seems that staying awake must have something to do with being engaged in the work of missions and evangelism. So practically, what does that look like? Well, I think on a global level, every local church must give themselves to both encouraging missions and raising up missionaries and giving their members into a missions mindset calling on people to support missions in numerous ways. And it must mean that we're to support the ongoing proclamation of the gospel financially. And furthermore, we ought to learn how to share our own faith whenever the opportunity arises. Be awake. Be always active in those activities that your master has called you to do. Now, staying awake must also mean that we live in an attitude of hope. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 1 Peter then goes on to say, Keep loving one another. Continue to show hospitality. Use your spiritual gifts. Continue to glorify Jesus in everything. All of those attitudes are of hopefulness. We don't give in to the world's attitudes. Rather, we continue to foster the attitudes of faith, knowing that the present order of things will pass away, but the values of the kingdom are eternal. That's what hope looks like. That's what it means to stay awake. Be about the master's business. Continue to live with the values of the kingdom, knowing that we never know at what time the master comes. Well, the second thing that Jesus is teaching us in this parable has to do with the second half of verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know at what day your Lord is coming. That is, the idea that the master didn't know when the thief was coming tells us we really don't know when the Lord is coming. And so let me ask you, do you think it'll be a long while? Well, you need to change your view. You don't know. Do you think it'll be very near now? Well, you need to change your view. You don't know when the Lord is returning. When I first went to seminary so many years ago now, I had people tell me, I would regret going to seminary. They said, the Lord is coming soon. You don't have time for seminary. Well, I didn't know how to answer that then, except I just knew I needed to go. And I spent time in study and it was of great value. I didn't know when my Lord would return. I just needed to know that I would be about the master's business and would live in expectation. Momentum continues to pick up as friends look to travel with us on our 2022 Israel Experience. Join us in this Holy Land adventure from April 24th to May 2nd, 2022, with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, Latha Gaines Phil Calloway, special musical guest Laura Hastings, and the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team. Tour the Holy Land, walk where Jesus, Paul, David walked, sail the Sea of Galilee, visit the Jordan River, the Garden of Gethsemane, David's royal palace, and experience communion together at the Garden Tomb. A traveler from our last experience shared, the trip was overwhelmingly wonderful, the trip of a lifetime. The full Israel Experience itinerary is available online, and to ensure an intimate vacation experience, numbers are limited, so register soon. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca. Jesus gives a second parable about faithfulness for a lifetime. It's Matthew 24, 45 to 51. 
Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and cut him in pieces, and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The image in this second parable now shifts from the image of a master of a house to a household servant who's been given considerable responsibilities. Now, we don't need a great deal of imagination to see ourselves in that scenario, do we? You know, indeed, all of us have been given assignments in varying degrees from the master of the house. The house isn't ours. Rather, we are the master's servants. And Jesus began the parable with a question. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? And that's an excellent question. Given that the master is coming back, and given that he will evaluate the servant's work, and given that he will reward each servant according to his or her faithfulness, the question of who is the faithful and wise servant, that question is paramount. Which servant exhibits the wisest dealings? Which servant is most faithful to the desires of his master? See, in this parable, as in others, the master has gone away. You know, in the same fashion, Jesus is planning to physically leave his disciples. And you might remember that John records in John 16, verse 6, that when Jesus told the 12 that he was going away, the passage says, sorrow has filled your heart. And yet Jesus promises that he will send them the Holy Spirit and he's going to empower them in the mission. They're not to continue on in sorrow. But here in Matthew 24, the issue is not that the Holy Spirit will come. The issue is the question that Jesus has asked. What does a faithful servant look like? Well, very well. We're going to see that Jesus explains this by way of contrast. First, he gives us a picture of the faithful servant and then of the unfaithful one. So let's look again at verses 45 and 46. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So in this case, the servant in question is the one who is in charge over all the welfare of all the other servants. In essence, this servant has been given a leadership role. Now, that makes sense because Jesus is giving this parable to his disciples. They're going to be given the role of apostleship. They're leaders of the church. The giving of food at the proper time no doubt refers to preaching and teaching, discipling, baptizing, ensuring that the church is equipped to live as Christ wants them to live and to carry out the mission that Christ has given them. You might want to think ahead to John chapter 21. You know, Peter has denied Jesus, and now in order to reinstate Peter, Jesus and Peter go for a walk on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, not far from Capernaum. And you're going to remember that three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter responds that he does. And by the third time, Peter is deeply distressed that Jesus keeps asking the same question. No doubt he's burdened by the guilt of having denied his Lord. And so in some fashion, he knows that he's had less love than he has wanted. But Peter is answering truthfully as much as he's able. In spite of his weakness and failure, yeah, he loves Jesus. And after each response, Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs and then tend my sheep and finally feed my sheep. That is to say, you'll demonstrate your love for me as you care for the church I've entrusted to you until I return for my bride. 
And that's a faithful apostle. He keeps on doing what Christ commanded him. You know, in the very beginning, you might remember, and here I'm thinking about the incident in Acts chapter 6. The church has begun, but immediately there's a problem, the feeding of widows. And here I I don't mean spiritually feeding them. I mean the daily distribution of food to those who didn't have enough. The church wants the apostles to care about this administrative matter to make sure that this matter gets solved. And you might also remember how the apostles responded. We must give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so the church was given the responsibility to find men filled of the Holy Spirit and with ability or wisdom to know how to handle this important responsibility. But the apostles had to remember what their assignment was. That is, they had to keep their eye on the ball, or to put it another way, they had to remember the unique assignment that Christ himself had entrusted them with. And so this parable in which Jesus is speaking to the twelve, it's very specific. The faithful servant is, when I return, I'm going to find him feeding the rest of the servants their spiritual food. That's the faithful and wise servant. Now, by extension, or as a point of application for all of us, we might think, look, there's a unique assignment Christ has given to each of us. Let me speak personally. If you know me personally, you'd soon become aware that in the course of my ministry, there were things I never attended to. I could never figure out computers, never. I was not the best administrator, and anyone who knows me will testify that's true. I did, however, care deeply about the spiritual well-being of my flock, and I did know how to handle the Word of God so that people would learn to rely on Scripture and not on themselves. I saw this as my unique assignment from God. Now, your gifts, your unique calling is going to be different than mine. I've known people who are extraordinary evangelists. I've known people who seem so attuned to the needs of others, they minister mercy to them at appropriate times that has left me, you know, astonished. I think of people who are good with kids or with adolescents and spend their ministry there. Think of people who are motivated by the needs of the poor and know what God has called them to do. And the application is clear then, isn't it? If you want to know a person who's wise and faithful, It's that servant who's still doing what Christ assigned to them, either until death or when Christ returns again. I once had a seminary professor who who loved military imagery, and I'll never forget that one image. He said, young people, Jesus is your commander-in-chief, and if he tells you in the midst of battle, hold that hill. When he comes to check on you, he's going to find you either holding that hill or dead on the top of it. And that's the point, is it not? Who is the wise and faithful servant? Jesus says, blessed is that servant who his master will find so doing. And then from verse 47, you'll find a promise attached to the command. His master will set him over all his possessions. I mean, that promise is attached, well, to a later teaching of ruling and reigning with Christ. It's also connected to the promise of our Lord. I mean, think back to, you know, Luke 19, verse 17. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And so the promise is this. The reward in heaven is connected to faithfulness on earth. If you can be trusted in your assignment on earth, you can also be trusted with the true riches of heaven. That's a basic description of the faithful and wise servant. But Jesus is more than aware that simply giving that description without contrasting it with the opposite is not enough. So notice he describes the unfaithful servant. And the first thing is attitude. This servant says, my master is delayed. That is, you know, this servant is not watchful. 
He doesn't live with expectation. Rather, he comes to a conclusion that all things are carrying on as before, and there's no reason for thinking about the return of the master. This is where the real trouble begins. It's a mindset problem. You know, I ride a motorcycle, and one of the very basic lessons any good motorcyclist knows is that when you enter into a corner, fix your eyes on the outcome, that is, on the end of the curve, and you're going to get there. In the same way, to be a servant of Jesus, fix your mind on the expectation of the end of the matter, our Lord's return, and your actions will follow accordingly. Now notice the second attribute of the unfaithful servant. Jesus says he begins to beat his fellow servants. Remember, this is a servant entrusted with leadership. He abuses others and treats them for his own ends. The third attribute is this. He eats and drinks with drunkards. That is, his moral life is no longer in check. I mean, all you have to do is think of those Christian leaders who have been caught in horrible sins, and you get the idea. There we have it. The master returns. He rewards the faithful. And to the one who has become unfaithful, he assigns that servant to a place of the unrighteous, to the place of torment. Now, with that in mind, we come back to a commitment that we need to make as we approach a new year. I don't know at what hour our Lord will return, but given this is true, I am called upon to live expectantly. And for that reason, when my master returns, I will be found to be doing the Lord's business. I will have been found to be doing the Lord's business as he has required me to do it. And therefore, I will have been found to be faithful. Thanks, John. A great series. Let me ask you, though, how do we live expectantly even when we hope the time of Jesus' return is soon? It just may not be. You know, Ben, I was just thinking the other day about wars and rumors of wars. And, you know, the the earth um, does seem again to be coming to a place, at least there are major tensions between certain nations, and it could erupt in a massive conflict again. And uh, rather than being terrified and terrorized, we are reminded what Jesus actually taught us and that all of these things are leading to a climax. Um, So rather than being terrified when we see tumultuous things uh, happening, we need to always lift up our heads. Our redemption draws nigh. Um, We are awaiting the second coming of Jesus. This, This life on earth is not going to end badly. It's going to end with Christ returning again. Oh, Christian, have hope. Don't be in terror. Thanks so much, John, and thanks for this series. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. December is coming to a close, and once again, we've been so blessed and encouraged by so many across the country expressing their support for the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada by sending a year-end gift. We're privileged to be part of this Bible teaching and engagement ministry and blessed to share this mission with you. Our goal by December 31st is to raise $490,000. These funds provide a necessary solid foundation for ministry in 2022 and will ultimately contribute to the gospel being declared and lives changed. Thank you for the role you play in making this possible. To support in the year-end campaign, please call us at 1-800-663-2425 or contribute online at backtothebible.ca by December 31st. Our sincere gratitude 
in advance.